for our last time, Hebrews chapter number 12. Let's go ahead and stand as we are physically able. We're going to begin once again in verse number 14 and once again read to the end of the chapter. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated, that the word should not be spoken to them any more. For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But we are coming to Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh, For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. And let's pray. Who knows, Father, the power of your anger. And I pray for us this morning that you would enable our minds to grasp the sober instruction you have set before us. That we would take the admonition to heart. And I pray this for us in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may, of course, be seated. Well, this is now our third Sunday dealing with this same text of Scripture in which the pastor has pointed pointed out to us what we are not come to, which, of course, is the Old Covenant in its elements. 
And what we are come to, which is in heavenly orientation, the new covenant and its elements. And now in verses 25 through 29, we have an admonition. This comes as the final warning passage in the book of Hebrews. And the warning passages in the book of Hebrews pose no small dilemma to the people of the Lord. Some find in them proof that your salvation will be taken away from you. Others find in them I want to put this very carefully because they don't mean it that way and I've held the position in the past, but they treat them in kind of an absolute hypothetical sense in which God is only pointing out what might happen if something that could not happen did happen. But he just doesn't talk to us that way. Or what is apparently more consistent with what the Bible has really taught to us all along. Which is that the genuine evidence of saving faith is not that it can find its beginning point, which is real. There was a time when you came to faith in Christ. But that it has an enduring component. And that It clings to Christ in spite of the trials and the difficulties that life has, many of them from God's own chastening hand. And so the pastor has in this book, not just in Hebrews 12, but all throughout his, interwoven for us Lengthy segments of instruction and information. This fact, this fact, this this insight, this interpretation. And then application, here's what you need to do with it. And then admonition. Do not fail to take it seriously. We are not waiting for an earthly kingdom. That is one of the points the pastor is making. The old covenant was an earthly covenant about an earthly kingdom. We are not receiving an earthly kingdom. We are, on the other hand, receiving an eternal kingdom. One that cannot be shaken. And it's being given to us not on the basis of our merit, but on the basis of God's grace. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ provided for us an eternal salvation that is not simply individualistic in nature. But that brings us into God's kingdom. A community of God's people. Here then is the instruction, or not instruction, but the admonition that is given to us. We who are on the receiving end of something far superior 
to what the Jews were receiving in their kingdom promises with reference to their earthly kingdom. We should, verses 25 through 27, listen to the one who is telling us this. I'd like to ask you to look, please, if you would, at the way that it is phrased in verse number 25. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. And of course, one of the beauties of our King James Bible is its ability to add that ETH verb ending to communicate grammar truth. That God is talking and not talking in the new revelation sense of the word. My wife and I were at Walmart yesterday and we were just, we were going down an aisle and there were some books and I looked at the book and I stopped and I picked up the book and it was a book about how to hear God in your dreams. I'm not quite sure why Walmart is selling that book, but they are. But God speaks to generations and God speaks to people in His Word and God speaks and informs and communicates But the word that I really wish to call our attention to there is the word refuse. Because that is the word that has, I think, great impact upon us if we will understand it correctly. If I refuse something, if you make an offer to me, would you, would you like this? And I refuse it. No thank you. I'm not interested, no thank you, I don't like that. That tends to be the way that we think about the word refuse. A polite but firm denial. But the way the word is used in our Bibles, and the way that it was used in the language of the writer, had more of the idea of making an excuse Or of begging off. For instance, in Luke chapter 14 and verse number 18, the word is used with reference to an invitation, and they all with one consent began to make excuse. They all refused. They all refused. One said, have me excused. I have land to tend to. I can't come right now. One said, please excuse me, I have cows to attend to. I can't come right now. Or technically steers, that's, that's what an ox is in the Bible. It's really what we would call a steer. In 1 Timothy 4.7, Paul told Timothy to avoid profane and old wives' tales. So the admonition is that we are to not excuse ourselves from the voice of Him who is speaking. And in this context, in verse number 25, I think the reference is clearly 
to God the Father who is speaking, and yet also in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is the one who is speaking. If we go right back to the very beginning, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake unto us in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And so the admonition is to not turn away from, to not engage in this kind of conversation with the one that speaks from heaven. And there's the physical idea of the word, to turn away from. Don't turn your back on me when I'm talking to you. We might say to a child or a spouse. Don't turn your back on me when I'm talking to you. And this is the intent of Hebrews 12.25. Don't turn your back on God when he's talking to you. And again, I think that we need to understand, folks, that the pastor's perception here is not people who are in outright rebellion. It would certainly include those. But that primarily what he has in mind, right, and particularly since he has chosen a particular time in Jewish history as his frame of reference, the generation in the wilderness we would find that these people didn't just say, no, I'm not doing it. They always gave their reason why God's command was meaningless to them at that moment. As if somehow God's word went no farther than their immediate situation or logic. I know that's what you said, but... But you see, there's this and this and this. So that I could say to the Lord, on the one hand, I'm just not doing it. Or I could say to the Lord, what seems much more plausible in my own mind. Let me explain to you why I'm not going to do it. And somehow, in my mind, that makes it more acceptable. And when the pastor is giving this admonition, he's not talking about the things, the content of what is being addressed. In other words, when see that you refuse not him that speaketh. What has he said? Well, he's already said lots of things in the book of Hebrews. But what he calls our attention to, again, in verses 25 through 27 is the orientation. Here's what God wants you to do as New Covenant people. Because we live in this world in which to be a New Testament Christian is a whole lot cooler than being an Old Testament Christian. So what we're supposed to do is go back to Mount Sinai, Exodus 19-21. through And we're supposed to engage our imaginations in being there and hearing the thunder, and seeing the lightning, and observing the smoke, and feeling the ground quake, and entering into the fear of the people, 
And then the pastor says, now look, nobody got away with telling him no when he was talking from heaven, but he's not talking from heaven any, or from earth. Nobody got away with anything when he was talking from earth, but he's not talking from earth anymore. Now he's talking from heaven. God has never been localized, but most of his activity on earth up to the New Testament was very localized. A small group of people on a small plot of land. Now he speaks from heaven. And again, if you go back to verse number 25, see that you refuse, don't make excuses on him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, how much more shall not we escape if we turn our backs from him that speaketh from heaven? Whose voice then shook the earth, but now hath he promised. Right? Now, now, now he's saying this that he didn't say in Exodus 19. Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And then make sure you don't miss this word, yet once more signifying the removing of those things that are shaken. In other words, what's the point of the shaking? Are you just trying to intimidate me? No. The things that get shaken go away. The things that can be shaken are going. He shook the earth. Verse number 26. Whose voice then shook the earth. And by the way, to go down to verse, and in verse number 26, we have shake earth and heaven. And you have it again in verse number 27. Those things that are shaken. And then for whatever reason, and I'm really not trying to beat it up or be critical of it, but I wish that they had continued with the use of the word in verse number 28. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Because that is exactly what he's saying. God is going to take, right? Once upon a time, folks, God shook a mountain. God brought the earthquake and the earth trembled and the ground shook and the people were terrified. And God said, that was just a preview. I'm going to shake the whole thing. And I'm not just going to shake it to shake it up. I'm going to shake it up and the stuff that can be shaken is going to be taken away. But we're getting a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We're expecting something that is eternal. Now just think about that, folks, in light of the fact of how easy it is to shake our lives. All that has to happen is that your company needs to decide that you are no longer needed and your world is shaken. And all you need is one word from the doctor's office and your world may be shaken. I mean, come on, there, there are people who never go to the doctor for that very reason. Don't want to hear what he might say. And the inflation indicators go up 
and our world is shaken. It doesn't really take much to shake us. It really doesn't. And then you factor in all the things that other people can do that we cannot control. And it doesn't take much to shake our world. There's no direct threat made, folks. It's just the same question that he had asked earlier in the book. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? He asks it here. Verse number 27. Or, I mean, verse number 25. If they did not escape, if they, didn't, if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape. Again, this is not the whole of the message, folks, but we want to avoid the perilous false doctrine that New, Christi- that New Testament Christianity is something like Christianity light. They did not escape. We will not escape. If we play loosely with those things that God has commanded that God has directed. This is biblical language, common biblical language. That God will, right? This was, this was exactly what they used to do in the days of manual harvesting. Right? They would gather in everything and then they would begin the process of winnowing keeping the good and separating out the chaff. So what is the instruction and the admonition? Listen to the one who is talking. God is not playing games. He is just not treating this casually. Secondly, verses 28 and 29. We are to embrace the grace he is offering. Verse 28, wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. Since we are getting something that no old covenant person, right? And I want to be careful here because there are believing people under the old covenant who are going to be a part of this kingdom. But their orientation was almost entirely earthly. And whenever God talked to them, even about some of the most glorious passages of the kingdom, like Isaiah 11 with the lion and the lamb laying down, they could only see it in their present earthly terms. We are getting a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us have grace. Now, you may have a note in your Bible that says something like, let us be thankful. 
And I don't really want to get into a big fight with that because certainly we ought to be grateful that God is giving to us this kingdom. And that is a legitimate definition of the word. The word grace is the word that gives us our English word charity. Charis. But when the pastor in Hebrews has been talking to us about grace, he has not simply been using it in the kindness of God toward us, expense of the word. He's been using it as a very real, albeit very invisible, help from God. For instance, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 9. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. God's grace did something very real for us. It's not just a gratitude, but a very real activity. Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. A very real spiritual help. A very real but invisible, spiritual kind of substance. Or Hebrews 10.29, of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Folks, there is divine enablement For the people of God to do what he tells us to do. This is a consistent Bible argument. That when God commands his people to do something. It is possible for them to do it. And it is not permissible for us to argue with him about why we are not able to do it. Hebrews 12.15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Right There it is. It is there to help you. But you will not take it. You will cling to your arguments. You will cling to your logic. You will cling to your reasoning. Or to put it in the language of the book of Hebrews, you will cling to your unbelief. As we will ultimately get to Hebrews 13.9 Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines for it is good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats. And my point is simply this, folks, that the pastor in the book of Hebrews has never viewed God's grace as just something for which we are thankful. Certainly we are thankful for it. It is how we are able to do what he tells us to do. We don't have the strength or the power or the inclination or the will apart from his divine enablement. 
So I don't think that the pastor is just saying something like this. Look, God's going to give you a kingdom that doesn't move, and so you ought to be very thankful for that. And in fact, I think I could argue that passionately since he tells us now what we are to do in that grace, serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. God is not simply, folks, the Savior of those who believe. He is the helper of those that believe. And unlike the old covenant where God was over there in a building separated by a big fence and you were not really welcome. God has sent His Spirit to live in us. Our helper is not far. He is close. And we need to have that grace that God is offering so that we might serve Him acceptably. Verse number 28. Whereby we may serve God acceptably. That word serve is very much anchored in an Old Testament concept. It was the way the priests and the Levites served. It was the way they conducted their Service. And in fact, that is the way that the pastor in Hebrews has used it. Hebrews 8 4. For if he, Jesus, were on earth, he should not be in priest, seeing that there are priests who offer gifts according to the law who serve. Hebrews 8 5. Who serve, who serve in this very way. Unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. They were ministering in illustrations. That doesn't demean them or disrespect them. It is factual information about them. They ministered in shadow. They ministered in substance. Christ ministers in reality. Hebrews 9.9, which was for a figure for the time then present. Talking about the Holy of Holies. And which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service. The religious service. Now what is different, folks, and there are others, Hebrews 9.14 and Hebrews 10.1 and Hebrews 10.2, where the word is translated worshipers. Here's the difference. Here's the difference. The difference is in the type of religious service that we do. That's the difference. It's not like in the Old Testament They did religious service to God. But in the New Testament, hey, chill out. This is the reign of grace, you know. It is, you're getting a kingdom that doesn't move. Serve God acceptably with honor. That word, if you go back here, and I'm going to to return to my... To what I just said, but I want I want to I want to look at I want to call your attention to these words to to verse twenty eight again. Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, shaken, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God in religious service, acceptably, with reference. The only other use of that word in the New Testament is First Timothy two nine, where it's translated with shamefacedness. Verse twenty eight. 
and godly fear. You know, folks, we're, we're still obligated to be pleasing to the Lord. I'm not saying that any of you don't think that. I'm just pointing out to us, right, that the New Testament requires of us to have a reverence for the Lord, a right way of thinking about Him that is expressed far differently in the New Covenant than it was in the Old. But it is the same essential demand. They served, we serve. If you'll jump ahead to 13, chapter 13 and verse number 15, let me give you a very clear example for that. Now I'm going to make the argument that what the pastor does in what to us is chapter 13 is begin to expand upon what he means by reverence and godly fear. But verse number 15 is very clear in the way in which our New Testament worship is going to differ from Old Testament reverence. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice. Let's just stop there because that's just Old Testament all over, isn't it? Offering sacrifices to God. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, here's how we differ. That is, the fruit of our lips, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Not the bringing of a physical animal, which was a reverential act if done properly, but our mouths singing God's praises authentically. But to go back to the end of chapter 12, folks, what is the pastor's, right? I mean, he's, you're not getting this, but you're getting this. And when God is talking to you, don't turn your back on him. Don't, don't make excuses to him. Because he, because he is a consuming fire. That much has never changed. When John was predicting, or not predicting, but when John was preparing the people for the ministry of Christ, he presented him as the one who will truly purge. The one who comes and baptizes with water and with fire. The God who consumes that which can be shaken. That which will not Endure. So we should give very careful attention to what God is telling us to do as New Testament Christians. And we should not think of this, right? We, we, are, we are different. We are so fundamentally different in our orientation as New Testament believers. But the basic demands have not really changed. 
that we are to serve God reverentially. We are to serve God conscious of the fact that there are things that are acceptable to him and things that are not. And for us, there is this added dimension that we are much more aware that these flow from the heart, not just the action. Listen to the God who is speaking. Let's pray this morning. Father, it is a wonderful promise that you have made to us, for it is a wonderful thing that you have done for us in not simply saving us, but bringing us into the kingdom of your Son. He is the rock not cut with hands. He is the king who is the king of kings and the master of masters. Our savior, our God. May we serve him reverentially and with a godly fear. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me